All right. Uh, good morning, everybody. I am Joey Geigma, member here at Delray. Been here about two years now. Uh, today we're going to discuss hazards and discipling. This is uh, the discipleship class. We've been going since I think June. Got a few more weeks, and we'll be wrapping it up before we move into the fall uh, equipping hour back to the foundations class and I'm not quite sure what other classes will be starting up yet. I'm assuming evangelism will kick back off. But without further ado, uh, Jeff, if you mind opening us some prayer please. Father, we thank you for this day that we have Amen. So the purpose of today is to build just awareness of various pitfalls in discipleship, and so that way we can be vigilant against them. This is not an exhaustive or comprehensive list of all the different hazards and pitfalls that you can run into in discipleship, but it provides us a really good start and a lot of uh, common background of things to be to be weary of as we move forward in our discipling relationships. Because anytime you have members of Christ getting together, building up one another to love the Lord all the more and grow in knowledge of Him, that pits us directly against the enemy, right? That's going against exactly what Satan wants and is intending. Um, so we're going to run into various obstacles, temptations, uh, workings of the flesh and outside the flesh to, to prevent us from continuing to grow in this capacity that God has called us to do in discipleship. So that being well, I'm sure we have all heard stories or have experienced it one hand, firsthand that discipleship doesn't always go well. Um, one of my biggest fears when doing it is that I'm either going to hurt somebody's relationship uh, with God and actually work against their faith or that, you know, selfishly that I'm going to do something to offend that person and, and hurt my own personal relationship with that person as well and, and no longer being able to have regular fellowship with somebody that I'm discipling. Um, so we're going to address some of that today um, and kind of work towards at least just indicators of what to be weary for um, in our discipling relationships. So we're going to start off first with five dangers that discipling poses to the discipler, to you um, as discipling somebody. So the first one being self-importance. So before I dive in, if I can get somebody to please look up Proverbs 8.13. Sean, thanks. You're great. First uh, John 2.16. Thanks, Kevin. And 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. Brittany, thank you. All right, so as they look those up, um, for self-importance, a lot of times, or not a lot of times, but we can be tempted in discipleship to be place ourselves on a spiritual pedestal. You see yourself as important because through your gifts, your time, your energy, and your ability, 
um, you see somebody growing in Christ and changing and, and bettering themselves. And we can attribute that to our own abilities and, and start to become prideful and think more of ourselves than we ought. Because as we know, all these things, even though God works through us, is all by God's grace that any change happens. Um, but we can start to attribute seeing positive change in people's lives to our own giftings and abilities uh, and time that we spend and holding ourselves uh, in a higher prideful light um, than we should and almost to a point where we think of ourselves above others, above the, the people that we are discipling or others in the church. Um, and at the end of the day, this is pride, right? And what is pride? Sin. Uh, and so before we dive in more to, to how to better think about this and how to be weary of it um, in, in our discipling relationships, let's just go through the, a couple of these verses I've mentioned to remind ourselves what God thinks about pride. So uh, Proverbs 8.13, please. Right, so pride is evil, and God hates it. So two first and foremost things that should stick out when we think about our relationship to others and how we're thinking about them, when we start to become prideful, this is how God views it. Even if that person we're discipling is growing in Christ, if we're doing so from a prideful means and posture, God hates that, and he sees that as sin within us. All right, 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Right, so pride, again, it doesn't come from God. It's sin, so it comes from our own flesh and from the world. This is where this grows and fosters out of. It is not a gift of God, but it is a curse from the world. So... A good example of what right looks like is you look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, throughout his ministry, you see dozens of lives changed. You see churches built up. You see him um, just pouring into person after person and, and see the good work that he's done and the amount of people that grow in the relationship with Christ because of it. And that it's a good thing and it's a blessing. But Paul has a correct posture about the work that he's done, the way that God's used him. So, uh, First Corinthians, please. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Right, so Paul here acknowledges the sweat and the work that he's doing, how much he's pouring himself out for the work of the Lord, to help people grow in a relationship with Christ, to evangelize those who don't know Jesus. But at the same time, he recognizes that any fruit, any good that's come out of it is not through his work and his toil and his efforts. Though they're still there, it's all done by the grace of God. And it's by the grace of God that any fruit was delivered. So when we are tempted to think our hard work has transformed people, remember this First Corinthians passage and we're reminded that it's God's grace that changes us. So you got to remind yourself that you're still a sinner. The person you're discipling is still a sinner. It's only through God's grace that we actually see positive change. But praise the Lord, we, God actually chooses to use us in affecting that change in other people. He just works through us, through our spoken word, and the way we do life and model life and partner with people to actually 
change them for your good. But it's only through God's grace that that happens. We just have the wonderful gift of getting to be a part of that work that God's doing. Uh, God says, uh, through James and James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. So again, it's through the grace and gift of God that we see this change. It's not through our own efforts and abilities in these discipling relationships. So this is just something, as we go through today, think of a discipling relationship that you're either in currently now or have been and kind of think about have these attitudes encroached in your discipling relationship at all have you seen this pattern ever in yourself as we go through all these different items um, not to beat yourself up but just kind of reflect and what to give to the Lord and, and come to him in prayer about as we continue to seek to be better disciplers and that's that's why we're here right um, so any questions on that part of pride of self-importance or comments, concerns, or anecdotes. All right, so we'll move to self-reliance, which is just another form of pride, right? Instead of um, talking more about feeling better than somebody else, feeling that, that we have it all together, we're still talking about that, but more now in the lane of trusting in our own wisdom and not in God's. So in self-reliance, we can get caught up in discipling relationships where we are quicker when presented with problems or, or people's sin to think about our own wisdom and apply our own wisdom and our own answers to how somebody uh, should be acting, should be thinking, instead of going to Scripture and going to God's wisdom. We're putting our own experience, our thoughts and opinions before the Word. Uh, but when we're discipling somebody, we should, be, should actually be slow to give answers uh, and quick to go to the Lord in prayer and open the word and, and seek scripture and actually answering people and discipling relationships. Uh, we are to be totally dependent on God. And this is a great time to actually be discussing this because if you look through this whole sermon series this month with the book of Nehemiah, um, I have on there listed on your handout um, every single prayer that Nehemiah does throughout that book. So you see as you walk through all those prayers throughout his entire tenure as governor and leader in Jerusalem and as he's prepping to do it and as he also concludes his work in chapter 13, he's being totally dependent on God in prayer throughout it all, whether it's corporately with the whole congregation, with the whole city of Jerusalem, whether it's, it's privately, whether it's internally in his own mind or out, or out loud, Nehemiah completely puts himself under God's word and puts himself dependent on the Lord in everything he does. Yes, he still makes a lot of hard decisions and has to go through without somebody specifically telling him a prophet saying, the word of the Lord tells you to do this. But before going out and doing all these things, um, he pauses and, and trusts in the Lord and goes to him in prayer before executing. And we should be always be doing the same in, in our discipling relationships is putting ourselves under the word, putting ourselves under the, the authority of God, going to him in prayer um, at various times throughout discipling uh, to seek his wisdom out before we give advice or, or wisdom to others. Uh, so yeah, as a discipler, consistently remind yourself of your need for God over and above everything else in this world. So a few questions to kind of ask yourself uh, when you enter these discipling relationships, am, am I sharing my opinion too quickly? 
Have I taken the time to actually search scripture or know from previous uh, Bible studies um, how to apply the word into this situation and not just what I think are my own life experience? Um, what might God say in this situation and, and not yourself? Because self-reliance can quickly turn into less careful responses and shooting from the hip. When we pause and become dependent on the Lord, then we're able to give more carefully Christ-centered responses that actually points people back to the cross, back to Jesus, which is our purpose as a disciplers, to point people to Jesus and not inward to themselves or to others. All right. So, and another thing I would encourage you to do as you read the Old Testament, Jeff was just talking about this a minute ago, but the, the kings of both Israel and Judah throughout their whole history is a great case study of seeing worldly self-reliant wisdom versus God wisdom where that ends up. Every time you have a king that seeks their own counsel and does what they think is right outside of the word of God, it always e ends in evil abounding, the nation falling into sin, falling into adultery, um, and, and leads to various consequences for the kings and for the nation. Whenever you see them rest on the Lord, depend on the Lord, seek the law, seek the prophets, seek the wisdom of God, then that's when you see the nation actually repent, change, uh, and God work towards the nation's good and, and, and benefit. So that's a great way of showing how it goes throughout history, hundreds of years of case after case, your own wisdom versus relying on God's wisdom and putting yourself dependent on the Lord. So question for you is in our own discipling relationships today, what are ways we can help guard ourselves against self-reliance? Yeah, that's really good. I mean, you know, discipleship doesn't have to be specifically one-on-one. -on -one. Um, you know, it could be a small group of people, two, three, or four, where you're relying on one another to keep each other humble, and that way everybody is contributing and, and, and keeping us centered on the, on the cross. That's really good and helpful. It's just faking it out. So I think, too, you can, you can talk to the person you're meeting with let them know, you know, my, my aim is to always, like, root our discretion, discussion in God's Word. Like, I know at, at times I have a tendency to, to stray away from that and start to, you know, talk about my own experiences. If you see that, let me know and, like, let's go back to the Word together. Yeah, that's really helpful. Not that our experiences can't help shape and illustrate the, the points that the word is making, but we've got to start and ground it on, on the word. Some other things you could do is, you know, 
there's a couple of brothers who I'm very, very close with. Whenever I, before I head out uh, to meet with somebody to disciple them, I'll just shoot them a quick text asking them to pray for me. Won't give any details, just be like, hey, I'm going into a, a discipling uh, conversation. Please, you know, pray for me that I'd stay humble and that, and God, that God would work. Um, so inviting other people to pray for you in these um, helps and also kind of helps in the accountability side well as well with your pride because then usually those guys follow up a day or two later and are like, hey, how did it go? You know, how did the Lord use it? Um, and so that helps in like, yeah, you know, if I was prideful in that time, well, then I have to confess it. And they're like, you know, um, it was fine. But, you know, there's these specific points where I gave more of my own wisdom, my own advice. Uh, was prideful in that instead of um, taking a pause and thinking about how we could apply scripture uh, to that certain situation. Um, so it's good to, to invite people who are, who are close with you to, to be praying for you in that and checking on how those conversations are going. And also, even though it's, it's a simple kind of implied task in discipling, I feel like it's necessary to say it, you know, bring your Bible. Right, go equipped to disciple somebody with the right tools. Actually, have the word physically with you, so you can open it up together, explore it together, uh, and see what God has to say. Any more uh, comments or, or questions or anything on the self-reliance at all? Okay, moving right along. Next is don't be program-minded. So remember, discipling, what's the purpose of it? Bill said it like every time he sat here and Brett Luce as well. What is it when we're saying we're discipling somebody? Helping them follow Jesus. Yes, we're helping them to follow Jesus, exactly. So that being said, helping somebody follow Jesus is entering a relationship with them and actually spending time with them, it's not just a program, robotic, systematic thing. You do A and B and C, and that person's now going to follow Jesus more. You actually have to have a relationship with them because that's what the gospel is, is Christ having a relationship with us. Um, so we have to model that and enter into that. So sometimes we get so caught up in our discipling agenda, whether it's a, we're reading a book of a Bible or we're going through some other Christian book or following a specific discipling program, there is some good ones out there, that we can overlook that relational aspect. Uh, we can not stop and pause and actually see how each other are doing and speak into specific instances uh, and struggles that are immediately affecting that person in their life. Uh, spending time in prayer with them on that, which is essential to actual discipleship. So, and also times we've talked about before that a discipling relationship maybe shouldn't even continue. You guys aren't a good fit. You can't get um, your schedules lined up or you just find your time together not clicking and not really encouraging each other. Uh, you don't necessarily have to force that function. Yes, we are called to disciple one another and to make disciples and teach and encourage all the members of the church. But there's a lot of members in the church. It doesn't necessarily have to be you in a specific relationship. Um, so it is a loving thing to end a discipling relationship um, if it is so warranted to instead to force something to struggle along. Um, and it's, it's nearer to one of your benefit to help to, to love Christ all the more. So, but going back to um, the first part of entering a relationship with somebody, uh, Bill has mentioned it multiple times he never 
goes into a discipling meeting, somebody with like, okay, here we go, let's pray, open the word, and off to the races. Now he spends usually the first portion of it talking to that person, catching up on them with the week, confessing sins to one another, and, and just engaging in each other's lives and, and seeing how each other is doing. But we make sure that we have to hang on to that part and not lose sight of, of whatever program or, or Bible study we're trying to do with this person. But on the other hand, you know, it's a balance, right? We can't spend the entire time focusing on the individual crisis and, and struggles in that person's life. Yes, we need to address it and make room for it, but if we're always reacting um, to life crises, um, it really kind of short sights us and robs us of being able to take the time to get into the Word and, and work through and, and do the legwork to see what God has made for us. The, um, there's a lot of benefit to the organization and preparation of going through either a book of the Bible or some other Christian resource to systematically uh, help somebody grow in a specific topic, book of the Bible or what have you. Um, so there has to be balance between the two um, where you know, you think about your beginning relationship, that's great for getting to know the body, getting to know one another and speaking to each other's lives, but you also have to have that meat portion uh, that it speaks about in, in, in Hebrews and get in deep into the Word and the things that God would have us to reveal about Himself that we really can't know unless we take that time and make sure we guard it uh, to get in deep in the Word. Um, so there is a balance there when we disciple others uh, to not lean too far one way on either side of that spectrum. Uh, but again, also with the material itself, it's not always helpful, especially, especially when you go to extra biblical means, right? You go to uh, helpful books or discipleship programs, right? They're not infallible. They're not perfect. The author is not God, uh, like the Bible being inspired by God. So sometimes if you're using something that's extra biblical, um, it's okay if it's not helping that person and not helping them to grow. You don't have to dogmatically stick to it, right? It could be flawed. It could not be a good fit for what season of life that person's through and serving them well. So don't get so locked into a book or program that you can't say, hey, this isn't helping either of us. Let's take a step back and actually maybe look for something that is more specific to, to the questions that you're having and the season of life that you're in that would actually speak more to your situation. Um, so you don't have to dogmatically go through a thing and force your way through it just because you started it. Um, which my wife's sitting there and just nodding her head in agreement because I always push us through <laughs> everything very OCD-like. <laughs> if I start something, I have to finish. <laughs> so this is a rebuke to myself. <laughs> but. Uh, just because you start something, if it's not being that helpful, move on to something else that is. Because anything outside the Bible is not perfect um, and, and, and is, is fallible. Uh, even though there's probably great things in there. Alright, uh, and then we'll speak about a little bit more later on in the next point. But again, don't be afraid to end a discipling relationship. Um, there is a lot of people in the church that can, can, can help disciple others. It doesn't have to be you. And that's why throughout this whole course, we've really hammered in um, discipling should be done in the context of the church. 
because then you're never discipling on your own. When you run into hard issues and questions, you can go to the elders or to other members of the church that can help you. If you're into a tough discipling relationship where you feel like you're no longer helping the person or you guys just aren't getting along and, and it's no longer to your spiritual benefit to be meeting together, this church has like 400 members or, or something like that. There is a plethora of godly people who our church has stood up and affirmed that they know Christ that can help people to follow Jesus. Uh, and we can happily help one another to find people to do that. And besides the one-on-one discipling relationships, being in the church also, you have the benefit of knowing that person is under the regular teaching of God's word on Sunday morning. We have the equipping hour classes and various other programs that your church does to help people to enter in discipling relationships and be under good teaching of the word. So it's not up to you. It's not your burden or problem to fix somebody in their relationship with Christ. That's between them and God, and God gives the whole church to enter that person's life and, and help disciple them. It's never up to you as a discipler um, to be so burdened that you can't break off a relationship um, for your own spiritual health or, or that person you're discipling. The think, way I like to think about it is like the church is one giant toolkit and every member of the church and the Sunday morning, all the various things that the church does are different tools. You're just one tool in that toolkit. Um, and you might not be the right tool for that job. You know, I am a hammer, and a lot of times a hammer is not the right tool for the job. So, but praise God, I am in fellowship with 400 other people in this church um, with all different types of gifts and callings um, and abilities that the Lord can use to enter into that person's life and encourage them in their walk with Christ. So just remember, uh, we have a whole church here to help you and encourage you and walk alongside you in those discipling relationships. It's not just up to you. Uh, this just happened to me last month. Uh, a brother that I was meeting with and, and, and discipleship with, uh, we'd been meeting for some time and we just had a really hard time um, getting our schedules together, uh, never really clicked in, in, in what to study and, and what this brother needs in this season of life. And we, you know, we got lunch the other month and I was like, do you even really want to keep meeting with me? Like, I don't think this is really a help to you. It's been a long time since we've met. And this brother is in multiple relationships with people in this church, has multiple brothers that he's accountable for, uh, accountable to and having a relationship with. So I'm not concerned about this brother being coming isolated and not being in relationship with anybody in church. He has all this set up. He doesn't need me. Um, so yes, we're still, we still are friends and hang out periodically, but you know, we decided it probably wasn't good to continue on this discipling relationship for both his time and my time. Um, that was to both our benefit to end that, and that's, that's okay, and that's loving to do that. Uh, another example of this corporately um, is with community groups in the church, right? There was a long season with community groups that that was the best way to get to know people in the church as a new member and it was really hard to make relationships uh, without that program to help you get to know people. Um, but despite COVID, God has grown the culture in Delray Baptist Church to where now regularly you see members inviting over visitors for lunch after church, inviting new members over to do life with them and get to know them. You see 
new members and visitors getting plugged in in all various aspects of the church outside of community groups to the point where for a lot of people, not everybody, for a lot of people, community groups have even become a hindrance and limiting their ability to discipleship and fellowship with others because they have this programmed thing that the church is uh, administering and overseeing uh, that's being able to limit organically the discipleship and fellowship that's going on. So the church and the elders have took a step back and they're not going to oversee it and minister anymore to continue to encourage all these organic relationships that have been um, propping up to the testimony of everybody sitting in here. Um, you know, thank you guys for loving new members and visitors so well and continuing to invite people into your lives. This is uh, really encouraging. And it's not saying that one day the elders might not feel that it's time to bring community groups back. But for this uh, current season, season, even with COVID going on, um, it's just super encouraging seeing the way all of the members in this church continue to um, encourage one another and bring each other into each other's lives. So any um, questions at all on that one, comments or concerns at all? Jesus uh, came to earth, if we most needed a program, we would have given it. Instead, he became flesh, became a human, came to live, dwell, suffer, live with us. Yep, he gave himself. Yeah. Yeah, amen. All right, uh, we'll move on to sense of failure. If I could get somebody to look up, please, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Andrew, thank you. Um, to loan over Andrew Andrew the older <laughs> um, Andrew Hobold you can get 1 Corinthians 3.6 alright so with sense of failure a discipling relationship like we talked about doesn't always go the way we want it right uh, sometimes we become discouraged through seeing a lack of growth in the other person sometimes we get burdened where we see the person we're discipling continuing to struggle with a struggle with a particular sin, and not seeing to have any freedom from it or to be to be moving on from that sin at all. Yes, they are repentant and seeking not to do it, but they seem to just be trapped in it. Uh, can be very discouraging. Um, also, we can be discouraged in, you know, maybe we just don't like them. Like there's 400 members in this church. If you got to know every single one of them, we're human. There's probably one or two that you're just not going to like. Um, <laughs> it happens. And these things can be discouraging to be trying to be discipling somebody like that. Um, and we might even feel that we've failed in a discipling relationship. And you might even begin to doubt God's ability uh, to work through you. So I would want you to consider, we've already talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to beat it anymore. Um, but... We have the whole church to disciple, right? So it doesn't have to specifically be you. Um, if this discouragement is becoming overwhelming, um, there's other people in the church that can disciple this person. And also, there's other people in the church who can encourage and disciple you in your discouragement and walk alongside you. Um, if you're ever in a position like this, you know, you can always reach out to the elders or to the church, and they'd be happy to, to disciple you and walk alongside you. Um, so, and then also consider the promise of God's word that even if things don't seem to be going right at this current point in time, 
God's word never comes back void. So uh, Isaiah 55, please. Yeah, God says his word's not going to come back empty. He doesn't say it's not going to come back empty immediately. Um, you can't expect that we're always going to see immediate, tangible fruit in discipling. You might not even see it the whole season you're discipling somebody. Um, and don't la- let this lack of visible fruit discourage you in thinking that you're doing no good because God works in mysterious ways and his word, uh, he promises us, never returns void. So trust that God's word will bear fruit because um, again, the discipleship is not about you, the discipler. Uh, it's about God and helping people to understand him more and, and grow in the relationship with him. Uh, Andrew, First uh, Corinthians 3, 6, please. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Right, so we don't always know in a discipling relationship, who we are in that relationship. Um, whether we're, we're planting seeds, whether we're watering people um, and, and seeing that growth. You know, if we're planting seeds, a lot of times, you know, we won't be that one to, to see growth. But what you see, if you've ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress, is that Pilgrim on his journey to the celestial city, heaven, it's just this big story, um, allegory of the Christian walk of how he gets saved and the ups and downs of the Christian life. And it is a variety of people that meet Pilgrim on his path to the celestial city that encourage him, that disciple him, and and help him to grow in his relationship with God. It's never just one person throughout his whole life walking through, holding his hand, and, and, and answering every life scenario with him. So you might just be one person that God uses to intersect with somebody um, for a short season in their life, but you don't know what ramifications that will have in their life down the road. Um, and at what season of life that you're intersecting them with, whether it's on a high, whether you're down in the valley um, and hurting, um, because in our Christian walk, if you've been a Christian for more than a day, you will start to realize that it's all not honky and dory and unicorns and rainbows. It's got highs and lows. Of, of, of sin because we're still in the flesh of discouragement uh, of joys and happiness uh, it's the whole range throughout the walk and that's uh, and that's why we need the church and different people I can count through every season of my Christian life how God has used the church and different people around me uh, different Christians to continue my growth whether they knew it or not but it is a whole long line of people that God's been using to help me grow um, so, and all done through his word. So we just got to remember um, that even though we're not seeing visible fruit, to not be discouraged by that, because God can still use that in a later point in time uh, and, and people's growth towards him. And we've mentioned it a few times before, again, you know, it's okay to end a discipling relationship and, and help them meet somebody else in the church that can better encourage them in their current season. Um, is there any questions on sense of failure, um, any concerns or, or comments at all?
All right, we'll move to the last one. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, I think this is something that I used to struggle with, and still sometimes struggle with the sense of failure, but then I just think of the verse of planting the seeds and where the seed's going to like the sower, the parable of the sower. Um, and so as long as I'm planting that seed, I feel like that can be a success. And someone else might come continue to water the seed, or someone else will come along and plant more seeds. But if I can plant the seed, then I can, even though I don't know exactly how it grows, or maybe it's like put out, but instead of looking at the failure side of that, I can look on the success of, hey, I took the opportunity or provided to plant that seed. Right, uh, which is the way we should look at it. So thank you for saying that. It's really helpful, yeah. Um, to just be thankful for the way God's using us and because and, we don't know how that word's going to produce fruit or if it won't. Uh, that's up to God who gives the growth. But be thankful that we get to be part of that story and part of that opportunity um, to plant those seeds of the gospel in, in people's hearts or, or to, to, for those who are already Christians, you know, plant those seeds of encouragement and a, of growth and, of, and you know, sometimes rebuke, whatever it may be. And who knows how the Lord will use it. So a discipling, discipling relationship doesn't have to be a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one, as you gave earlier, season for a time, even just how we interact with each other after church, the conversations we have uh, can be little discipling moments or having somebody over for dinner and a little discipling moment of encouraging one another and, and, and pointing each other to, to Jesus. Good. Thank you. Anything else at all? All right, so we'll move to the last one of the hazard for the discipler in specific. If I can have somebody please look up Romans 10.14. Shannon. And Colossians 1.28 and 29. Timothy. What's your name? Andrea. Thanks, Andrea. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about now abdicating responsibility for the sovereignty of God. So we've talked a lot about already how God and his sovereignty causes all the growth. No matter what work we do, no matter how much we toil and labor, we don't cause any growth. That's all by the Holy Spirit. That's all God who, who actually changes people's hearts and causes them to grow. So there's a danger of over-reliance, if that's probably not the appropriate way to phrase that, but um, of, of failing to do any type of prepping, to doing any type of hard work um, towards helping people to grow and just, you know, hands off the wheel, let's see what Jesus does. Because even though, yes, God does cause all the growth, he has chosen in his sovereignty to use people as vehicles of that growth. He chooses to work through us um, for us. So we have to actually do the work, um, and God will use that to actually have people grow. But it, without that, um, God is not going to cause that growth. Uh, so Romans uh, 10, 14, please. Right. So again, uh, Paul is telling us here, yes, um, God's the one who saves people. He actually evangelizes people. But how are they to know? How are they to convert? How are they to change from sin? Or in our discipling 
context? How are people to grow, change from unrepentant sin if you don't tell them? Um, so we have to do the work. We have to do the labor. Um, yes, be reliant on the sovereignty of God, but that doesn't excuse us from our responsibility of doing the hard work of laboring to help people. Um, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, please. Yeah, so Paul in his work, he is toil, he is struggling, it is not a haphazard, um, just walking through life, discipling people, putting little to no effort in it, and yay, hooray, look at all of this growth that God has done. No, Paul has sweat, toiled, and poured himself out for all the people that he's seen um, converted and grown, and for the churches, and God has used that. So yes, God does give the growth, but that does not relieve us in any way of our responsibility to toil and sweat um, for our brothers and sisters in Christ and helping them all the more onto heaven. Um, the cost of discipleship is time, study, prayer, and love, right? That is how we toil. Time is as far as giving up time that we could be using for other good things, uh, to actually sit down, stop our lives, and talk to somebody and meet with them. Uh, it's, 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 we, we pay and we toil in our study. You know, you don't go into discipling relationships with somebody and start walking through a book of the Bible with them, start walking through some Christian book with them without actually having read it first, struggled with it on your own first, and coming prepared um, to actually help them interpret the Word of God and apply it to their lives. So we have to toil in our, in our struggle um, to, to understand a word and apply it. Studying is work. We have to work in prayer for one another. Praying is not easy. Praying does not come naturally. We've spoken about a lot in this class. Um, First Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing with one another. We must labor for those who are discipling, for our members in the church. That's why the elders always tell you that a great thing to be doing is going through the church uh, member directory and be regularly praying for all the different members of the church. We have to labor and pray for one another because um, that is another means that God uses to cause growth when we go to him in prayer. He acts, he listens, he responds, um, as the book of James tells us. And then in love, all right, people's lives are messy, right? We are all still in the flesh. Even though we are saved and have the Holy Spirit within us, for those who know Christ is our Savior and repented and follow Him, we still have the flesh in us. Life's still messy. The world is still fallen. Um, it's not always easy to love somebody. And it is work to love somebody, to do life with them, to partner with them. Um, it, is, it is never convenient. Um, although it's often enjoyable, it is, it is hard work to actually stop, love somebody, enter their life, and, and get involved. Um, it is, it's never just an, an easy, convenient thing. So these are several of the dangers um, that poses to, to when we disciple others, but we gotta, we got to persevere with that toil and with that work as 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 Paul says, and as modeled for us in the New Testament. Any question on that?
So that's kind of like we have the full spectrum there where we can totally ignore the sovereignty of God and his work in it and put the full pride in ourselves like we talked at the beginning with self-importance and self-reliance. But then there's the danger of going the opposite way and ignoring our calling and our responsibility and our gifts and the way God has built us and wants to use us um, and not doing anything and expecting God to do all things when he has chosen to use us as a means to, to communicate and help people grow. Um, it's why he's given us to church. So, all right, uh, unless there's any comments, we'll move on to the dangers that discipling poses to the disciplee. Um, these also um, pertain to discipler as well, but we're going to be mainly tackling it in the context of the person we are discipling. So one being uh, inappropriate intimacy, and we're talking about cross-gender uh, discipling, and particularly the, um, that it's not wise to do so. So studying together, I mean sharing struggles and praying together presents a very close setting. You know, some of the people that I often enter disciple relationships with often become some of my closest friends because we're really getting to know one another and getting involved in each other's lives um, as we continue to enter into word study together. Um, so this discipling relationship, someone of the opposite sex can very easily lead to an inappropriate intimacy or inappropriate relationship between a man and a woman. All right, and this is why the Bible consistently models us uh, as a healthy discipling relationship, same-sex discipling relationships. You see this in Titus 2, when Paul commands older women to teach the younger women um, and lays out the model for that. You see this in Exodus 18 uh, with Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, teaching and discipling Moses on what, how to actually be a leader and how to delegate and how to lead the people of Israel and Moses is listening to them. They're keeping it within this same-sex model. Not that we can't actually learn and teach and be encouraged by one another. Uh, we should be always doing that. But for, we're talking more about that more involvement in each other's life, confessing of one another's sins and burdens, doing life together closely, um, when that's cross-gender, that should be avoided outside of marriage. And it is very unwise to enter into that type of discipling relationship. If you meet somebody of the opposite gender who is looking for that discipling relationship and seeking that out and coming to you for help, praise God, that's why we have the church, right? There is dozens of healthy women in this church where if, if a woman came up to me, if Tori came up to me and, and was seeking discipleship, there's various women's church have like go sit with shannon go sit with Brittany. these are great women who can disciple you who i trust complicitly to be able to lead you in, in righteousness and holiness that are fully equipped to do so um and then the same thing for the women otherwise there's the elders and, and tons of healthy godly men in this church um that i'm so encouraged and so happy to be here at delray that this has been you know of all the churches I attend in life, the, the most examples and the most amount of people that I would totally feel comfortable uh, recommending and, and discipling relationships. So you are, you are not without uh, supply here at, at Delray. So any questions or comments on that with the inappropriate in intimacy at all or, or cross-gender discipling? Andrew. 
say also with that, God, as you said, there's room for a healthy correction, rebuke at that daily. Uh, like, uh, Priscilla and Aquila confronting Apollos, Abigail confronting David. Uh, there is that, that normal life together, just let's you know, do this better, follow Jesus better. Uh, not as an intentional, regular thing, as you said, but yeah. also d- don't let it be, don't avoid a good word spoken in love and truth. Like most of the great correction and just and, uh, helpful feedback I've gotten have been from sisters more than guys in, 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 in some seasons of life. And God has used them in my church, and I'm thankful for them. So, yeah, not to be, not to develop those habits, but certainly be thankful for them. Yeah, that's a good word. So, um, even though, yes, we want to avoid cross-gender and, and those close relationships and discipling, again, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and able to teach, rebuke, correct, encourage one another in regularly, daily interaction, and we should uh, be doing that to one another. All right, we'll move on. Next, dependency on the discipler. All right, so after meeting for a while, your friend, person you're discipling might become dependent on you for Bible study, uh, for prayer, for this. You are the only venue that this person is going to confess sin um, or have any type of knowledge of the truth, right? This is, this is the opposite of what we're going for, right? In discipling relationships, we want people to become dependent on Jesus, to get to know and rely on Christ, not on you. So as disciplers, we need to encourage people we disciple to build up Christian disciplines. Um, and we, Brett gave a whole lesson uh, last month, I think it was, on Christian disciplines. If you, it's on the Delray Baptist audio podcast. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you missed that week. Um, but yeah, so building them up in Christian disciplines and knowledge of God for themselves that they can grow in their own personal walk with Jesus. So, well, again, what we don't want someone to do is to be so dependent on us is that if you got hit by the bus on the way home from church today, that they're going to stop in their faith, stop reading their Bible without you to hold their hand and walk them through it. All right. We need to be encouraging people to um, follow Christ more and more on their own, entering their own personal relationship with him that long after your relationships ended, they're continuing to seek after Christ, seeking to know God more, seeking to grow in holiness, grow in repentance of sin, and continue to change in that way. So what are helpful ways that we can help others that we're in a disciple relationship with avoid dependency? What are things we can do um, to avoid uh, this hazard in people we're discipling? That's good. Yes. Yeah. Helping people to read the word for themselves and giving them the space and your time together to actually do that. That's good. Anthony? Sometimes intentionally being unavailable to them so they have to walk through something themselves. It will cause spiritual growth in their lives or whatever. If it gets to a point, so, so, 
for those who are listening, <laughs> Anthony, Anthony said um, to intentionally be unavailable to somebody uh, as they're working through something, to, to, to force them to work through it. To, get, to do a little tough love. Sometimes that is necessary. Um, yeah, I would just caution doing that, and that is used in specific circumstances with specific people. It shouldn't be a, a go-to response to help us uh, ward against becoming dependent, but it is very necessary and useful at times if somebody has become dependent uh, to help them break break that and realize that they got to figure these things out on their own. If we are going to use it though, um, if there's ever a time after prayer that it seems wise to do that, um, I would just be upfront about it too. It's like, listen, this is something at its time you, you got to work this out on your own. We can talk about it later time. Um, but I mean, this is between you and the Lord. Uh, go to him in prayer and, 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 and let him guide you um, to not just cold shoulder even though I don't think you were saying that. Shannon. I was gonna say, um, just as like a follow-up, of asking them, like, kind of what you said at the end, but had you, had you got to the Lord's Prayer first, just really encouraging them, go to the Lord's first, like I'm here, and then also on top of that, building other relationships, encouraging relationships with other believers too, so it's not just a soul, they're dependent on you alone, that we are a body, kind of as you've been talking about the whole time, and to really be encouraging Yes, that's really good. Yeah, encourage others to build relationships with other people than you, especially outside of your immediate, like, mutual friend circle. So to, to enter out into different circles uh, in the church and, and, and make those uh, relationships. And also, yes, that, that question that Chris uh, Dish always uses. When, when you talk to him is have you prayed about this first you know have you gone to the Lord first before coming to me you know that's that's key that's really good what else we got Andrea did you have your hand raised okay, sorry um, yes so the only other thing I would give up as well is you know as the discipleship relationship starts to grow Bill's used this before brought this up before have them be the ones to actually pray prepare and teach um, what you guys are going to go over that day um, you know especially as you continue to grow in your discipling relationship and they continue to grow in ability um, um, give them reps to teach and prepare uh, and that forces them to get in the word on their own and actually struggle with it before coming to you also when you're when you're um, dealing with they're bringing to you their problems and struggles and sin and, and things that they need to confess and are working through um, before you know pointing to them to scripture that can help them speak into that situation you know asking that question hey uh, what scripture do you think actually speaks into this situation or where do you think in the bible can actually give you comfort or answers to this and, and see where you know if 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 the lord reveals to them um, um, whatever it may be, and if something something comes to mind, and if it doesn't, you know that's okay. Then you can help guide them there. Um, but that those are good questions to be asking instead of just rolling out the answers. Um, and then for helping people to develop spiritual disciplines, one thing I always encourage is have somebody if they don't have a good Bible studying habit, 
have them start with studying Psalm 119 uh, because that is a very lengthy chapter of just stanza after stanza after stanza of how God's word is good, how God's word is right, how God's word is good for us and is meant to help us and that it is wonderful and you're just seeing it over and over in various ways the psalmist bring out the wonders of God's word and how good it is uh, to help the Lord um, hopefully the Lord will use that to build an appreciation for his word and some of these spiritual disciplines uh, when when the goodness of the word is presented to somebody sometimes I can lose sight of that uh, of how really God's word is good and how wonderful it is for us and Psalm 119 is one of the places I will frequent uh, to remind me of that. So we'll, for sake of time, we'll, we'll just keep moving on and we'll open up for questions at the end. Lastly, trusting um, you too easily, taking your word for truth without thinking, right? Um, you don't want to be in a discipling relationship where the person you're discipling is not going to question you at all. It's going to automatically assume you're right on everything. Uh, which, which is not good. They, we should be training people we disciple to be Bereans in Acts 17.11 of the, the sect of Jews who, when everything was brought to them, they would examine it for themselves in the scriptures to determine if what that person was saying was true or not. So, um, yeah, just be encouraging people that as you disciple them to not take your word for it, but to actually get into the scripture, read it for themselves, and the Lord will reveal the truth. Um, this made a huge impact in my own life when um, me and Emily first were exposed to Reformed theology in our church in Illinois, the Evangelical Free Church of, of Crystal Lake, and I guess I was brought up like borderline Arminian, meaning that I believe that my salvation was through my work alone, that God didn't convict my heart, but that I, in my own free will, saw that the gospel was the right choice and decided to believe in the gospel. Um, but that being said, I was that church, the pastor continued to teach us the truth more and more throughout a study in Romans and other parts of the Bible. And that's what started to convince me is he looked holistically at the whole word that God convicts our hearts. God gives us the ability to believe because we are lost in darkness and we are completely lost in our sin and lost in death. And it's only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can ever have a hope to salvation. And at first I hardened my heart against this teaching. I didn't want to hear it because of the way I've been taught and grew up learning. Um, but all the time, at the end of his speeches on this, at the end of expositing the Bible and the word about the sovereignty of God and how he works and moves in each of our individual salvations and enables it, um, at the end of it, he'd always say, but don't take my word for it. After this, go, pray, get in the scripture for yourself, and the Lord will review the tr reveal the truth. You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to listen to me. Get in the word. God's word will not return void. He will not lead you astray. And so I listened to him, on that part at least, <laughs> and I started just, every time he'd bring it up, I'd look at those scriptures later on throughout that week, pray on them and look at them, and, and God just slowly continued to convict my heart, show me the truth that was in the scripture to a point where I can no longer harden my heart and deny it, uh, but God helped me to see the truth and how I, he actually gave me my salvation and has led to exponential growth in my life because of that, uh, of examining the scripture uh, for myself uh, instead of taking people's word for it. So 
and it really helps to it just sink in and the Lord to, to work in that way. So any questions on this, having people trust you too easily, comments, concerns, or really about anything we've talked about today, anything that's kind of popped up uh, as we've been talking at all? Anthony. Amen, man. That's awesome. Andrea? Um, this is going back to the point of um, advocating responsibility for God's sovereignty. Yes. I think something that can be like tempting for me is kind of blaming God for somebody's like somebody who's not growing. Because I know it's God who causes it to grow. So like, why God? Like, why are you allowing this person to grow? And I know that's not good. Like, I know that's not true. Like, how can we battle that, um, just that untrue thought that, like, it is God who's causing the growth, um, but it's not, yeah, like, I don't think we can really blame him. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's making any sense. It, it does. So the question is, if I'm paraphrasing it right, is that when we, going back to the abdicating of, of, of our responsibility in light of God's sovereignty, is um, when we see somebody not growing, how do we guard our own hearts becoming embittered about God? Like, well, you should have grown them, God. Like, why aren't you doing it? I am putting in the work. Um, and I would just encourage you to go to James. And now we are over time, so if you guys got to go, uh, you can. I'll, I'll take a few questions and I'll close some prayers. But if there's something you need to do, feel free to go ahead and leave. Um, but please stay out of the main hall until after 1030. And that's why I don't feel bad by continuing to keep going. We do have to break this room back down, though. Oh, yes. So I will keep this short. <laughs> All right. Well, come see me afterward. And I'll find exactly where in James. I can't find the immediate passage right hand. But basically, he's, he's just talking about that. All evil things, none of it comes from the Lord. God is not evil, and he doesn't bring evil. Um, and then I also always think about in Ephesians 2 how none of us are worthy uh, of salvation. We look at the first 11 verses of Ephesians 2, and that we are all lost in darkness, and we are worthy of death, destruction, and of hell. And for God to even move or do anything, the grace is a gift, and he's not entitled to do any of it because he's God. And so that changes my heart posture from instead of being bitter, why aren't you doing it? But to thinking of more of thankfulness and appreciation for what he has done because he didn't have to do that, but he chose to do it anyway in his benevolence and, and goodness. Anything else at all? If not, come see me afterwards. Um, Kevin, will you close us in prayer, please?
health and disability um, with their hazards as well, and just being able to um, have accountability and, and keep us humble and not uh, discouraged in our discipling efforts. I hope to have a, a great rest of our, our Sunday and to just see you uh, throughout this week. Thank you, Steve.